There was a story once in the New York Times. It's a true story. It's a story about a British gentleman who purchased a new Rolls-Royce automobile. This man was excited about his new car, and he wanted um, to find out more about it. But there was nothing in the advertising material, nothing in the manual that came with the car, and nothing anywhere on the automobile itself that told him the horsepower of his new car. He wanted to know how strong, how fast his new car was. And on making inquiries, the man learned that it was the policy of Rolls-Royce to talk Never about the horsepower of their automobiles. But the man thought, hey, I'm curious. I paid a lot of money for this car. He's entitled to know the horsepower. So he wrote him a note, wrote the company, mailed it off, asking for the information, the horsepower of his new car. In a few days, he got back a response. It was one word, adequate. I guess Rolls-Royce has earned the right to be that bold and that confident. There's the same quiet confidence. There's the same strong and clear commitment in the New Testament. No frenzied advertising. No loud shouting and jumping up and down. No bragging. No high-pressure salesmanship. None of that's in the New Testament. No braggadocio, no boasting. Instead, there flows in the stories of life of Jesus and in the pages that follow Jesus, the letters of Paul, the letters of John and others, there's this steady, quiet, certain confidence about what's important. Life is rooted in God. Life is full of ups and downs, Challenges come to all of us, but God's faithfulness is forever. Life is full of uncertainty, difficulty, yet our calling, page after page in the Scriptures, is to trust God. Trust God with our lives, and our calling is to live in loving service to God's purposes. More specifically... Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, on Easter, because death and evil is defeated, our lives and the whole world belong to God, and we're to live out a certain resurrection faith. So, what are we going to do? How do we know what to do? How should we live in light of the resurrection, in light of God's love, in light of God's victory over evil and death? Is it complicated? Is it hard to figure out? Adequate. We are given wonderful and adequate instruction in what we are to do and how we are to live. These instructions always come after the good news. We're so loved, we're so blessed with God's promises and presence, we're so covered in victory, in life. We live a certain way because of God. Because of God, not in order to get our way into heaven, not in order to win anything. Because of God, we live a certain way. Christian faith, Christian living always follows what God has done for us. 
And we get this adequate instruction, these adequate messages in many pages and in various ways. Jesus appears on the scene and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Come and follow me. In other places, it says God was in Christ, this person reconciling the whole world to God's self. Therefore, be reconcilers, be people of peace and wholeness in the world. We read that God first loved us. We're to love one another. We have the good news, and then we are called in how to live. Our second lesson today fits right in with these adequate words instructions in how to live in light of God's love, promises, and presence. Listen to these words that come at the end of the letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians. Paul writes this letter. This is considered the oldest material in the New Testament, the oldest that we have from the Apostle Paul. Listen. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of, your, of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do this. This is the word of the Lord. One of the bad habits that we pick up on as we live our lives is separating things and people into secular and sacred. We assume the secular is more or less what we are in charge of. You know, where we get our schooling and what we're going to do in life, what kind of work engages us, how we spend our time, how we spend our entertainment, what we think about politics, what we think about other things that we pursue. This is all up to us to figure out to do as we wish, to choose or not to choose. The secular belongs to us. Then the sacred is what God is in charge of, and that would be worship and the Bible, heaven and earth, church and prayers. And we're pretty good at setting aside sacred space and sacred stuff for God, designed, we say, to honor God, but really intended to kind of keep God in God's place, leaving us free to have the final say about everything else that goes on. The Bible, when we read it honestly and sincerely and carefully, will never let us get away with that kind of separating. The Bible reminds us that everything, absolutely everything, unfolds before God. 
on sacred ground. God cares about every aspect of our lives. God is interested in how we think and how we act in what we do with all parts of our lives. The way we feel and act both in public and in private. The way we make our money and the way we expend it. The politics we embrace. The wars we fight. The catastrophes that we endure. The people we hurt the people we help, everything relates to God. Everything unfolds before God. Nothing is exempt from the rule of God. Nothing escapes the purposes and the presence of God. So Paul, in writing to this new congregation about how do they live in faith, how do they live in light of the resurrection, how do they live toward God's promise coming again, is about trusting God and serving God. And he says, we appeal to you, brothers and sisters. We appeal to you. An appeal is an urgent request that warrants not only hearing, but action from our lives. Sincere response. It's a request for an honest and faithful attentiveness and then action. And then Paul gives the most adequate instruction in what matters. Paul is hoping that this new congregation of believers, and us too, will participate in this large God life that comes to us because we're so loved by God. This large God life that comes to us because of the resurrection. These are words that want to train us in how to live. Not in reaction to our failures and our frustrations. Not in desperation about what is happening to us. Not in response to people who are stronger than we are or more powerful than we are. Not in order to survive in a sea of cynicism and malice and certainly not to live egocentrically where everything is centered around us. These words, like so many others, want to train our minds and train our hearts and train our emotions to live in response to the great promises and the presence of God, to live by faith, to love and serve, to live toward the full reign of God. These words, the way of faith and love, sound almost revolutionary in these days. Sound absolutely countercultural in these days. We appeal to you, he says, appeal to you. Respect those who labor among you. Esteem them very highly in love. Respect, esteem are not traits we see around often enough. Yet this is what is called forth from us in light of God's love, in light of the resurrection, in light of God's victory. He says, be at peace among yourselves. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil. We've gotten so, so good at that. Repaying evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another. He says, what if we really live like this in response to this appeal? This is what God asks. This is what God expects of us. Not just sometimes. Not just when we feel like we can do it in our lives of faith, but all the time, in all moments, in everything. All of life, see, is 
live before God. Rejoice always, he says. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in every circumstance. Regular prayer reminds us that our lives are indeed lived before God. Regular prayer reminds us that God is always at work in all things, something we often quickly forget. Regular prayer confirms that we're not on our own and we're never left alone. Regular and faithful prayer keeps us rooted in God's love and orients our life away from the things that get our quick attention and reorient us toward God who's bolder and always at work and always present. Regular prayer gives us the bold confidence that God will redeem us, as the psalmist says, redeem us from all evil and heartache and despair. And all of this changes us, changes how we live. This past week, I've been in lots of conversations with other religious leaders in our city, Muslims, Christians, Jews, Hindus. These conversations get a lot of momentum when tragic things happen near us or somewhere in the world and they have been spurred again by gun violence and hatred seen most recently in attacks on faith communities. When these things happen, we in Richmond try to stand together and stand for unity and community in the face of hatred and violence. These conversations are not easy. Someone reaches out suggesting that we get together or write something. A few people work on it, maybe. We plan something. We've had rallies. We've had statements. Large conversations that intend to encourage us in the face of these setbacks generate hope, build community, build unity. But invariably, and more recently, someone says these statements are not enough. Too much anger. Too much to do. We can't just stand together. We have to be light that's brighter than the impending darkness and violence that's growing. And then there was this statement from one in the group. And I'm going to read it. It is a dark and difficult time. In the face of utter dehumanization manifest through deadly violence, our blood boils. And how can it not? I know not what to do with the rage that consumes me and swings me unfettered between feelings of chaos and paralysis. So I've spent today reading Mahatma Gandhi. He was angry too. Somehow that comforted me and his teachings gave me some insight into what one does with this anger. We hold it and channel it into transformative change. And we do this through ahimsa, radical compassion. Not easy, maybe not even our natural response, but it's the one that's demanded in this time. I'm reminded that ahimsa is not the absence of anger. It is the transformation of unfocused, chaotic anger into righteous rage channeled toward social change. It's speaking truth to power, naming that which we will create and deserve, deeply honoring all humanity, even as hatred attempts to rob us of it. 
Ahimsa is radical compassion toward ourselves, not letting the chaotic anger in us reduce us to that which we decry. It is the knowing of mercy even when the world is merciless toward us. I don't know that any words can capture our anger right now, but I do hope that we can utilize its force to build something such that hatred will have no option but to dissolve. So the appeal keeps coming because it's so important. The appeal in how to live remains so critical to life and faith and hope. And the appeal always wants transformative change from us. The appeal is for radical compassion. The appeal is to hold fast to what is good and may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, says Paul. In a few moments, we're going to gather at this table to be fed fed on God's promises, fed on the affirmation that God's love never ends, fed so that we can work for transformative change, radical compassion, living and serving as God calls us to do. The appeal is constant. This is how you live. This is who you are. This is what the world needs. Transformative change that leads us toward the kingdom of God. May we be so fed, so filled, and so faithful in all we do, following Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O God, help our unbelief and cover us with love and peace so that our lives can embody love and peace. Amen.